Welcome to Movie Maker. I'm Tim Malloy, and today I'm very happy to welcome two guests, Mank production designer Donald Burt and Mank director David Fincher. They've also worked together on Zodiac, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, The Social Network, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, House of Cards, and Gone Girl. If you're a person who really loves to study what's on screen, this is the episode for you. Mank is the story of Herman J. Mankiewicz, who co-wrote Citizen Kane with Orson Welles. The film shows how Mank, played by Gary Oldman, was inspired by his interactions with Marion Davies, played by Amanda Seyfried, and her super-rich beau, media baron William Randolph Hearst. Key scenes take place at Hearst's real home in San Simeon, California, which you can still go visit, the Hearst Castle. If you enjoy this episode, I highly recommend checking out our other episodes, especially our interview with Mank star Gary Oldman. And now, here are Donald Burt and David Fincher talking about Mank, which is nominated for 10 Oscars, including for Fincher and Burt, and is now streaming on Netflix. So Don Burt and David Fincher, it is such a pleasure to have you here on Movie Maker. I love Mank. I'm thrilled. Oh many of the other films that you've worked on together and i'm thrilled to to talk to you both yeah thank you Uh, just to begin don for anyone who's listening to this who doesn't know what a production designer is can you explain the role and also explain whether it's any different in a david fincher film than in a typical film Hmm. um my role is to put together the sets make sure the locations are in order do any kind of visual work that needs to be done to anything that we're going to set a camera up and film. And that's kind of basically it. Um, is it? Well, any- it, 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 I mean, it, it's yes. I mean, it, under, yeah. <clears throat> you're responsible for what people, for the settings and what people see the actors against, but you're also, but you're responsible for something much more, um, Uh, intricate which is making sure that you know as we tell the story there's there's the evolution of some of these sets there's the certainly the evolution of the characters and oftentimes that stuff is reflected in their surroundings it's reflected in their um you know it's reflected in the jobs that they you know are are offered or the jobs that they lose because of their alcoholism or whatever and so all of the it, it, it it's a, it's about a cohesion of the sort of um setting palette hmm. I think yeah. you do yourself a disservice by saying this, but you know, I do. I'm kind of just... on the <laughs> modest side, and David will take. <laughs> and I'm going to make sure that you get your due. I I appreciate that, and you know, it is about visual storytelling, you know, and making sure that there is consistency and that there is an evolution, as David said, and that there's an arc to the story visually throughout it all. But the physicality of it is, is putting together the sets, making sure locations look right, making sure they're cohesive to the story, to the narrative and executing. And um, working on a David project is so much different than working on any other kind of project, at least with the people I've experienced filmmaking with before. Um, Primarily in the sense that David A knows his film to begin with. I mean, there's no director I've ever experienced that knows what his film is about, how he wants to 
tell the story and how he sees the execution of the film. Um, and because of that, it, it gives us a good template to work within and allows us the chance to really pay attention to details because we're not, we're not three steps back trying to figure out what the film is. We're already into that. And then we're able to say, okay, let's push it even further with what we do. And the expectation of detail, and I think, you know, David and I both sort of, I mean, I, I certainly don't put myself on his level in any way, shape or form, but oh, I think I'm we're both to. sensitive to, um, to detail, to exactness, to um, things being done right and being done with the spirit of wanting to do things right, which is just as important as making them right. Yeah. Well, but it's, I think it's also, I think, listen, there, there are plenty of movies that are made for a couple million bucks and or, or made in 14 days or 20 days that don't have the kind of, um, they're not allowed to um, to think um, through every little, I, I, I like to call it sort of fractal thinking. You know, it to me it's very important the space, the space between moments, the space between, you know, the the door frame and the and the chair. It's like, can we fit another clue? Can we? Is there is there another is there another piece of set dressing that can be in evidence that will give us a clearer idea of who these people are and, and what their struggle is or, or what they take for granted? You know, every, and I, you know, I think cinema is, is, a, is a storytelling discipline um, that uh, because it's so expensive, you know, uh, most people who who watch films, you know, are aware of the fact that you can create, you can make any, you can build anything, you can do it in CG, you can, you you know, there are all kinds of craftspeople who can fake swords and dinosaurs and whatever. Um, so everything that you include in the frame, for the most part, the audience. Um, feels uh, is intentional. There's something there for them to glean from it. And you can either ignore that and say, well, it doesn't really matter to me. And, and, and listen, there are a lot of times when we go to a location and say, well, look, it's supposed to be a 7-Eleven and indeed it is a 7-Eleven. And these are the things that you would find at a 7-Eleven. So let's shoot it as is, you know? There are plenty of times where we make those decisions, but then there's also stuff where you're building it from the ground up. And in those cases, you know, like San Simeon, you know, you're, you, you, because you're gonna construct all of it, you need to ask yourself, what are we trying to get out of San Simeon? What does it have to say about um, it? its owner, <laughs> what, is it, what does it say about its captives? Um, what is it, you know, um, and, and, and you either avail yourself of, of the kind of density and fractal thinking that, that cinema can allow for, or you ignore it. And, 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 you know, I think my worry is always that I'm gonna include something that's gonna make, I'm gonna include something in the frame in a 
in a prominent way that wasn't meant to be prominent that's going to throw people off what they need to be concentrating on, what they need. I, I would say it this way, the audience, you know, the audience watches a, a film in a sort of narrative chronologic, in a chronological stream, and they're getting these, you know, there are croutons in front of them and they're picking them up and they're putting them in their backpack like Hansel and Gretel. And, and they learn about this path as, as they move down it. Now we can either take them to places where the sights and sounds and things that they find in front of them accrue to a greater understanding, or we can say, eh, it's not really, it's not, that's not of any interest to us, or that's not, and, and the audience will probably find something that you didn't intend <laughs> or, be, or yeah. be confused into thinking that the story may be about this other thing. And so for my money, it's equally important what you're taking out of the frame as it yeah. is what you're including in it. Yeah. And I think there's also a point to be made about really thinking through the the sets, the different rooms within a set and so forth, and realizing that, you know, you're not just putting things in there. We're not just dressing San Simeon to look like it's extravagant. There's yeah. purposefulness to the tapestries. There's yeah. purposefulness to the different elements. And knowing when to be subtractive with that as well, you know, because when you can things just throw things into a space and make it look a certain way. And it, 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 it's, it's not about people. filling a space. Yeah. It's about it's about including the things in it. You know, one of the things that you get from the San Simeon sets is that, quite honestly, it doesn't look like Marion Davies had a lot to say in terms of how how right. how the how those spaces were going to be decorated. And that, if if you're going to describe, you know, William Randolph first did it anyway. He was very opinionated about where his uh, antiquities were going to go and it's often led people to feel like you know they had no say in in what life was like with Willie so there are all these different opportunities to to say things about the characters that are wandering through the sets. I love that you use the word captives to describe guests at San Simeon I assume <laughs> one of the people you're referring to is Mank, and I'm guessing that there may be things in that set that are designed to trigger a reaction from him or offense from him. Can you talk about things that you deliberately included or deliberately took out from the San Simeon set specifically? Mm. I mean, um, I, can, I can very quickly, you know, just say that for, from my standpoint, you know, um, everything was was very, the choices that were being made, you know, any choice that I involved myself in, and they were minimal in the, in that set, was all about like, he's gonna be entering from the left, he's gonna be looking right, that's the fireplace where he's gonna light his cigarette. So it was much more of a schematic, you know, here's where this action is gonna take place, that's where this action is gonna take place. Um, I, and I really left, San Simeon to 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 Don. Yeah, I mean, we didn't. I mean, we were pretty specific in how we dressed it, and we had a few extra set dressing elements once the set was built that we sort of pushed and pulled with. We would try something in there, a couple lamps and things like that, but nothing that really was, you know, 
nothing where we went, oh, we have to change direction or we're totally off base here. We, we kind of had it all planned out pretty much with the set decorator, Jan Pascal, you know, she presented photographs. We kind of laid things out within the, and talked about it within the elevations and the floor plan of the space. So we knew going in and we kind of had to do it that way, to be honest with you, because we only had like two or three day, days to dress it. Mm. So, um, and we did base it on what the real space was like the dining hall, what the real dining hall was like at, yeah. at Hearst Castle. And we used that as a point of departure. You know, we took some license on things, but, you know, we certainly weren't trying to replicate. And, you know, we just sort of folded in different rooms from the research into the, um, the gathering room for the party for mayor. And we took several different rooms that we found in research and we said, well, let's, let's have a seating area that looks like this. Let's bring in a piano. Let's bring in, actually, I think the piano was David's idea because he wanted Charlie Chaplin to play the piano. But, you know, it was sort of an assemblage of what exists in different spaces at yeah. San Simeon. Yeah. I, I listened to a podcast, Don, where you said that you saw such detailed pictures of 1930s San Simeon, and I'm using San Simeon and Hearst Castle interchangeably. Yeah. Um, they were so detailed that you chose not to actually go to Hearst Castle, which is obviously still there. Did you ever ultimately go? Did you see it? Did you walk around in it? And David, no, I've never been there. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it. I, I, I've been there. It's, um, it, it's, uh, it's something. It's a lot of somethings. <laughs> I mean, it, it really, truly does remind you of the, of the, you know, the, end of Kane with just how much, you know, how much art, how, ma how many suits of armor, how many scimitars or, or, I mean, there's, it's so crammed full of things to look at. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think, I think that Don was exactly right to say, we're going to need to weed this back a little bit. Otherwise people just aren't going to know where to look and they're not going to know where the floral arrangement ends and the brocade jacket begins. And, you know, the, it, it, it could be, um, especially with deep focus photography, mm -hmm. it could be just exhausting for your eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the other thing was that, you know, some of the research we found, we found these black and white photos and even night photos that were taken on the grounds. And, you know, the spirit of the black and white and just continually lo looking at those photographs and digesting what they were presenting to me. And I was actually kind of scared to go up there because obviously they're color photo books that you can look at now of Hearst Castle. I, I was afraid with some of the budget constraints and so forth that I'd get up there and I'd be overwhelmed and I'd think it'd be impossible to pull off. So I just sort of, you know, <laughs> I took it another way and I said, okay, <laughs> I have to emulate this. I can't, there's no way I'll be able to do walls that look like they were, no. you know, disassembled monasteries in Spain that were shipped over. And, you know, to David's point, I came across research photos of this, um, this character, Hearst, and his servants with these massive amounts of crates on the ground that they were unpacking, you know, antiquities and Renaissance paintings and sculptures and all these all these artifacts that he gathered in Europe and brought back and you just realized, oh my gosh, you know, I, I could never do that. So, you know, it was, he liked to shop. 
He liked the shot. It would have been overwhelming to see the detail in, in the real place compared yeah. to what to what I could do. <laughs> yeah. I understand this was about 12 weeks and about $25 million, which I imagine must have made this the most challenging of the movies that you worked on together going back to Zodiac. I mean, was this the hardest? You know, there's this there's this tendency for um, um, you know, especially when when you're um, especially during award season, for everybody to talk about how incredibly difficult it is to to listen. Movies are hard; they're all hard, and it's the same amount of hard. It's the same amount of hard if you're making, you know, it, if you have a hundred million to spend, it's only because you need hundred and twenty. If you have mm-hmm. twenty five to spend, it's only because you asked for thirty. Um, so, so. You know, I think they're all difficult, um, uh, not for the um, thought and, and labor, because we're going to do, we're going to overthink everything anyway. And, and as anybody who's ever worked with Don Burt will tell you, he is, you know, he's there at 5 a.m. when you when you roll in. He's been there all night. He's painting, you know, he's doing the he's painting the ceiling parts that, yeah, that were last minute vacuum yeah. formed and are were delivered mm-hmm. the night before. So so they're all they're all incredibly difficult in the, in their in their own way, you know, and they're all incredibly fulfilling in their own way. You know, Gone Girl is not um was not a more uh, difficult movie or was not easier movie to design because we said, hey, it's a Midwestern McMansion. You know, it's making the decisions about how you're going to evoke uh, a, a Midwestern McMansion. And what does that mean in terms of Pella windows and, you know, um, restoration hardware sofas and you know we we would talk about what what we had seen in places that we had scouted we were talk we would talk about um you know the oversized overscale kind of furniture that is is prevalent in you know in the 21st century and and so we would talk about those kinds of things it's not and and the conversation you know again the battle is won in prep you know so for the most part all of the all of the all of the questions and the conversations that lead you to your palate, um, that is what you're trying to do. You're trying to mind meld with someone, in my case, with someone who is more talented and, and more um, uh, more has more facility in being able to see things you know don would go and he would scout and he would come back and he'd say i saw this and this and this and i think that these are things that we need to hold sacred if we're talking about a new money aesthetic in a place like you know um this this town in in missouri yeah and that became and that and, and those are the important conversations that you're having is like what 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 does it end up what does it end up telling you about the people that live there you know part of you know a lot of what we do is how do we we do often have to exaggerate the size 
the interior dimensions of a room in order to just be able to put a crew in it, put, put a camera, put two cameras in it and a boom operator. So if I'm gonna overscale these, how do I, I'll be overscaled on in, in, in this dimension, which allows me to get all the people in that I need to. But in reality, what the camera is gonna be capturing will be very consistent with what the real architecture is like. And we won't be aware of the fact that this, but that the interior dimensions of this house are actually 18 feet longer than the exterior that we shot because we don't see that aspect of it. So it's all of those conversations. It's not so much the difficulty. The difficulty is all always there. And the difficulty is what are we going to do that's going to evoke what it is that we want to talk about and not evoke something that we don't want to talk about. Yeah, and I think there's something to be said for why try to evade the difficulty of filmmaking and just realize that it's part of it. And, yeah. and you know, that's what I get up and work for. And I know David does too. I don't know a director that works as hard as David. He talks about, I'm going to, I'm going to get him now. He talks about me being there. Well, you're breaking morning. up. The only reason he knows that. The only reason he knows that is because he's there at five in the morning. <laughs> That's the only reason. And he usually comes in and scares me half to death because I don't know he's around the corner. But the thing is, you know, if you want it to be easy, fine. That's your choice in life. Make it easy. And it's not that we purposely make things difficult, but I think we both, you know, at least I try to, and I make a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes, but internally you try to challenge yourself. You try to challenge your ideas and you question your ideas and you say, you know, you say to yourself internally, you know, there's this choice and this choice. Is this the right one? Is this a better way to go? And, you know, you do it with set design or whatever. And that's part of it. And that's the joy of it, I think. And, you know, it's also it's also an evolution, you know. Taste yeah. evolves, and you may you may be dealing with a character that's similar to something that you've had to deal with in the past, and you just say, "I don't want to do, I don't want to do for this character. I don't want to solve these problems in the same way that I solved them in Zodiac, or the exactly. same way that I solved them in House of Cards." You know, you you can, you, and so you kind of take you know certain arrows in your quiver just because you don't want to become redundant, you, you, you let those go and you look for other ways. And, 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 and I think that this is something that both Don and I share, which is we're not afraid to, to go the long way around. I honestly believe that the audience, if they can't articulate it, the difference, they feel it. They feel the difference mm -hmm. when someone has thought through something and is now, um, you know, because you can tell a story where you don't, where the cameras, it's oftentimes, you know, if you look at a movie like Z or you look at a movie like, um, you know, you, you, or even all the President's Men, it's the fact that they're not perfect, they're not in the perfect place to see a certain handoff or transaction that goes, it's the fact that, the information was missed. And then these guys can go back and talk about it and, and it can put it in a different perspective for the audience. Sometimes, sometimes you want to have the camera right there, wide angle lens in tight and see something that it underlines something. And sometimes you want it to be, to play out in the master. And, and there are, and it's more difficult to get it to play out in a master. It's more difficult not to cut away to an insert. An insert is often 
a crutch. Now mm -hmm. it almost always in it almost invariably gives you an opportunity to make it prettier or to make it in more control. But if it can happen in the, you know, Buster Keaton proved, if you can do it in the master um, and it can register and the audience takes it away, that's often, that's the hardest, that's playing without a net. Yeah. And, and you have to ask yourself, where am I in the narrative? And, and if I'm in the first, you know, four minutes of the movie, maybe I want it to happen in the master. And by the time I get to the third act, and now it can be constructing things a little bit more and getting more um, uh, uh, specific about where I'm going to put your eyeballs. Yeah. That makes sense? Mm -hmm. It does. And I think there's something to be said about, you know, just with like for me, and for instance, with sets and so forth, to start at A and then go through the whole alphabet and then end up at A again and go full circle. But something about that whole process of going through it all and coming back to where you started, it's like that, you know, it's that yeah. whole Jasper Johns thing, take an object, do something to it, do something else to it, and then come back to what it was, you know? Yeah. And it, and it, and it, causes, it causes you to face what it is that's so striking, strong, simple about A. Yeah. Yeah. I think restraint is something that David and I both at some point in time, <laughs> we come in and we say, let's pull back, you know, or yeah. let's simplify. Yeah. Let's trust them. Let's trust the audience to, to, yeah. to see it and to, and to, and to note it's important. Right. You know, I was going to ask, uh, th there's kind of an internet meme almost about what a perfectionist David Fincher is, and as an extension of that, is what a perfectionist Don Bird is. And I was going to ask you both if you think that's true, but talking to you, it feels a little superfluous. It feels like you clearly. <laughs> I think that perfectionism is is a term that's um, thrown thrown about mostly by people who are lazy. <laughs> yeah, I'm so imperfect. Sorry, funny. I mean, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> well, we're not trying to do something perfect. You know, perfect is a, is, is the commercial, you know, perfect is um, you, you're looking for stuff to be imperfect in exactly the right way. So, mm -hmm. so what's important is to be able to articulate what perfect would be and then avoid it at all costs. Yeah. And I think there's a difference between realizing what, perfection is and what something is that's well thought out. Yeah. That was Don Burt and David Fincher. I think you can tell at a certain point in that interview, I adopted my favorite interview strategy, which is not always available, but it certainly was this time. Shut the fuck up and let smart people talk. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to leave us a review, to subscribe, Best of all, forward it to a friend and say, hey, I thought this was interesting and you might like it. And visit us anytime you damn well please on moviemaker.com.